Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. I am your editor, Bryce. I'm one of your hosts, Abby. And I'm your other host, Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you part three of the infamous Zodiac Killer. So pour yourself some coffee, and let's dive in. Welcome back, guys. Today, we're going to tell you about possible Zodiac Killer suspects, a couple of the possible victims that have not officially been linked to the Zodiac Killer, and we're going to talk about the psychological traits of the Zodiac Killer. I do want to say that there are a lot of suspects for the Zodiac Killer. We're obviously not going to go through all of them because we'd be here for a while. So we're just going to go through some of the ones that are the most notable to Erica and I. For example, we will not be covering Ted Cruz solely because he looks like the sketches. Our first suspect is Earl Van Best. This suspect comes from Earl's son, Gary Stewart. This came about one night when Gary was watching TV and saw the sketch of the Zodiac Killer and thought that it looked like his father's mugshot. Gary never had a relationship with his dad. His dad was kind of terrible. (laughs) He was in and out of prison. He had a lot of negative things about him. But Gary sees the sketch and he starts connecting little things to his father that match up with themes from the Zodiac Killer. He also wrote a book called The Most Dangerous Animal of All, where it really goes into detail all the things that he thinks links his father to being the Zodiac Killer. I'm pretty sure there is a documentary as well on it. Like I said... Earl Van Best was in and out of prison for a number of things. He was abusive. There was one count of rape that he got convicted of. At one point, he was a 27-year-old and having a relationship with someone who was just 14 years old. Not really what you're supposed to be doing. He also had some charges with DUIs, fraud, and pedophilia, obviously, from the 14-year-old situation. So, I do think it's interesting that really what you're listing are, like, a lot of non-violent crimes at first. I mean, there what you said there was some um, abuse in the history, but most of his crimes were non-violent, and there was sexual abuse, which we never were able to connect the Zodiac Killer to any sexual abuse cases. So, it's interesting to me that he, the son, just kind of because his dad had a criminal history, was immediately like, oh, he's the Zodiac. Right. That points to the, I think for that, it's pointing to the fact that his father is capable of doing something wrong. There are a couple things I'll outline that he links, but I will say Van Best is never able to be specifically linked to any of the crimes or crime scenes. And he's not really officially suspected as a suspect by police and investigators. Time frame wise, Van Best was out on the streets. He was paroled in July of 1965. Gary also talks about how his father had an interest in ciphers. And Gary claims that he can see his father's name in the name cipher that the Zodiac Killer had sent to the San Francisco Chronicle. Obviously, like I said earlier, he thinks the composite sketch of the possible Zodiac Killer looks like his father. Gary also believes that his father's handwriting is comparable to the Zodiac Killer's handwriting. At one point, Earl Van Best also lived around the corner from where Paul Stein had been murdered. 
I do think it's so interesting that he solely believed that his father did enough to write an entire book about it. Like, he had to be dead set on the fact that it was his father. Yeah, I know. It's it's an interesting situation. And the stuff I listed is really the big things that make him think there's a connection. Obviously, he did a whole investigation with a crime journalist, Susan Mustafa, and they have enough that they were able to write a book and do a documentary of links that they firmly believe exist between Earl Van Best and the Zodiac Killer. However, like I said, the police investigators never took this and ran with it. They always just said that there wasn't enough solid evidence to actually link them. It was a lot of circumstantial. I do think it's worth noting, like Erica said earlier, though, that his past crimes don't necessarily match up with the crimes of the Zodiac Killer. However, you know, you see escalation a lot with criminals, so it's possible. I guess I can see some sort of small correlation. Like, he's obviously not a super great person. But then again, if we start listing all the not super great people in the world, we're going to have an even longer list of suspects for the Zodiac Killer. Did Earl Van Best look at all like any of the sketches of the Zodiac? Actually, yeah, quite a bit. Um, And we'll obviously post this for you guys to look at too. But here I'll show you guys Erica and Bryce real quick. Yeah, I can see quite a few similarities actually. There is quite a bit that's pretty similar there. I can understand seeing that on TV and being like, that looks like my dad. But there's definitely a similar nose and the lips are very similar as well. If these were shown to me side by side, I would I would have absolutely said that was him, having no context for it at all. But even given the context, knowing that I should be a little skeptical, I'm still seeing resemblance in almost everything, every part of his face. The next suspect that we're going to talk about for the Zodiac Killer is Rick Marshall. So there's not a whole lot on him, but I'm just going to kind of go through some bullet points. So during the Zodiac's crimes in 1968 and 1969, he worked at a San Francisco silent movie theater called The Avenue. So he was in the area at the time. This one, I'm not 100% sure the correlation, but I came across it a couple times. On his 45th birthday, which was March 13th, 1971, the Zodiac Killer mailed a letter to the Los Angeles Times newspaper. And this is that letter that Bryce had talked about earlier where he basically told the police to basically start doing something because they were being lazy. So because it was his birthday, people correlate that it might have been him. In the early 1970s, he worked as an engineer for a radio station in the San Francisco area. The reason that Rick became a suspect is because in 1976, he started making suspicious comments over his ham radio. And he did agree to be interviewed by Detective Ken Narlo, who was working on the Zodiac case. But when he was interviewed, he denied that he was the Zodiac killer. In 2001, Rick sent an email to the person that runs the website ZodiacKiller.com, and he was correcting the owner and writer of this website on where he had lived. So apparently, the ZodiacKiller.com author had described his house as a warehouse, but in the email, Marshall said that it was actually an industrial building. So this is the email that he sent. And it was titled, Silly Man, from R-I-K-I-T-I-K. It says, how can you waste time and energy on this dead horse? Your information regarding me is fifth or sixth hand. For instance, I never lived in a warehouse in Marin. I leased an industrial property at 36A Front Street in which included a 
four-room fully equipped apartment. If I find any further scurrilous debasing dope handed out from this source, be prepared to defend a personal damage suit by a first-rate attorney. And then it says SGD, Richard R. Marshall. One other reason that he's tied into possibly being the Zodiac Killer was that he lived 450 feet from the murder site of Sergeant Richard Ratatick. So while Richard is not 100% tied to the Zodiac Killer, if Richard was murdered by the Zodiac Killer, that could be a correlation between the two. There was also a woman who worked in Sacramento, California at a care facility, and she had said that Rick was a patient there and that he had spoken about the Zodiac case a couple different times. And she said that he just seemed really suspicious when he was talking about it. Rick Marshall did die on September 8th, 2008. So there's not really a whole lot of investigating or questioning that can really be done with him anymore. And it's just going to kind of be evidence that was kind of placed by him when he was alive. There is a good chance that that may never get solved. For this next suspect, I'm going to tell you guys about two separate events that link him to possibly being the Zodiac Killer. In September of 1970, Donna Lass was working as a nurse at the Sahara Hospital in South Lake Tahoe. The nurses there had a log book that they would write in, and her last log was at 1.50 a.m., and at some point, she left work. However, nobody saw her leaving the hospital. Her car was found parked in her apartment complex, and the next day, a man actually called her landlord and employer and said Donna would not be returning due to a family emergency, which raised a few flags, and the police got involved, and she was missing, and there was no sign of her. After talking to friends and family, nobody Donna knew made that phone call, so they're not sure who the man was that made the phone call to the landlord employer saying that Donna wouldn't be returning. Our next story is about Kathleen Johns. On March 22nd, 1970, around 11.15 p.m., 22-year-old Kathleen was driving with her infant daughter on the way to visit a relative in Petaluma. A man flagged her down while she was driving, kind of gesturing that something was going on with her tire. And so she pulled over and he offered to fix it really quick. So he goes down there and does something with the tire and she's like, okay. And then she starts to drive again and the wheel comes off. This man was still following her and offered to take her to a nearby gas station. So Kathleen grabs her baby and gets into the car with him. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. The man starts to drive her around back roads for almost two hours, the whole time threatening to kill them if she tried anything. At one point, Kathleen kind of saw an opportunity when they were driving by a field and she jumped out of the moving vehicle with her baby and just took off running. The man parked and got out in an attempt to try to kidnap her again, but he got scared off by a semi-truck driver who went by. 
She flagged down a vehicle and got a ride to a nearby police station. And she gave a description saying the man was approximately 30 years old, about 5'9", 160 to 170 pounds. He had short, dark hair and was wearing heavy rimmed glasses and dark clothing. While she's at the police station, she sees a wanted sign that was associated with the Zodiac killer and says, that's the guy that picked us up. Later on, Kathleen's car was found set on fire. Now, how this is connected, these two cases, is when shown a photo lineup, Kathleen was able to pick out a man named Lawrence K, sometimes called Lawrence Kane and sometimes called Larry Kane. I'm just going to call him Kane because that's way too many names. Kane was also connected to Donna Lass because he had worked at a hotel with her in South Lake Tahoe prior to her working at the hospital. And at some point she mentioned how he was kind of weird. Later on in life, Darlene, who is one of the Zodiac Killer's victims, her sister actually identified Kane and said that he used to follow Darlene around and harass her in days and weeks leading up to her murder. Apparently, Kane had been involved in a car accident in 1962 and suffered some brain damage, and it's believed that he had lost the ability to control self-gratification. Some people theorize that his name can be seen in the My Name cipher as well. When they compare the handwriting of Kane to the Zodiac's handwriting, it's, they say it's not necessarily a match, but you can't rule it out. Also, when the officers who were involved with the Paul Stein murder who saw a man walking around who at the time didn't fit the wrong description that was sent in, when they looked at photos, they said that Lawrence Kane matched the description of the man they saw the most out of all the other suspects they had looked at. Kane also lived pretty close to the area where Paul Stein was murdered. Around the time of the kidnapping, this is on July 24th, a letter was received by the San Francisco Chronicle saying, this is the Zodiac speaking, I am rather unhappy because you people will not wear some nice Zodiac buttons. So I now have a little list, starting with the woman and her baby that I gave a rather interesting ride to for a couple hours one evening, a few months back, that ended in my burning her car where I found them. So this is essentially why she is a potential victim. However, it does describe it pretty clearly, but there are a few details that are missing. So that's why it's not completely conclusive, but it is rather darn similar. Yeah, the Zodiac was known for giving intimate details that only the killer would know. And then in this situation, he didn't give details that only the kidnapper would know. So police never fully said that he was a part of it. Because that would be similar to just seeing or hearing about something on the news and knowing basically the rough details and trying to claim credit for it. The next suspect that we are going to cover is Arthur Lee Allen. And this one is going to be a long part because there's a lot of things that tie him to being the potential Zodiac killer. So Arthur Lee Allen was actually a elementary school teacher in California and he worked at the school until March of 1968. And in that time that he had worked at the school, he'd only ever used one of his sick days. And the only day that he was absent was November 1st, 1966. This is suspicious because Arthur was known to be in the Riverside area where Sherry Joe Bates was murdered 
on October 30th, 1966. So people wonder if he stayed in Riverside an extra day or two because of like wounds that he had, like facial wounds or something that he'd gotten in a struggle. And so he wanted to stay kind of out of the eye of the public. Mike Majo, one of the victims that ended up surviving, later picked Arthur Allen out of a lineup, saying that that was the man that attacked him and Darlene. It's very interesting because Darlene's sister was the one that said that Lawrence Kane had been following her around. So we got two different things going on here. Be a, quite a coincidence. I just made this connection, so now my brain's trying to process it. I kind of find that strange because Mike Manjo was at the murder and Darlene's sister, it's possible that Lawrence Kane was stalking Darlene and then somebody else killed them. That's what I was saying. I'm like, what? That's quite the coincidence that he ends up being suspected of being the Zodiac killer and was just happening to stalk one of the Zodiac killer's victims, which I mean, I trust Mike's, you know, opinion and what he says about it. It's just a really weird coincidence that I didn't make that connection till just now. The thing that's weird too is Arthur and Lawrence look nothing alike. I don't see any similarities. Do either of you? No, they look completely different. I certainly don't know. I think overall facial structure just in general is completely different. In 1991, during their investigation, they found a royal typewriter with Elite at his house. This was the same typewriter that had been used to write all of the letters. Another thing that connected Arthur to possibly being the Zodiac, which if you remember in the very first episode that we covered, part one, I talked about how the Zodiac symbol is that of a Zodiac watch. They match each other. Well, Arthur had been given a Zodiac watch as a Christmas gift from his mother in 1967. And it wasn't until 1969 before the logo for the Zodiac was on the letters that the Zodiac Killer sent out. So it would have been after he'd received the watch that the letters started having that logo. Arthur had a lot of people that kind of suspected him because of that watch and the symbol. So there were a lot of parallels between them that people kept like coming up with. And police had interviewed him and talked with him about stuff, but he continued to wear that watch every single day. And he wore it every day until it was seized during that investigation of the house in 1991. One of Arthur's friends, Don Chenney, said that on January 1st, 1969, so shortly after Arthur Allen had received the watch, he was talking to his friend Don, and Don then came forward and said that these are some conversations that he had with Arthur. Arthur allegedly told Don that he would like to kill couples at random. He would taunt the police with the letters detailing his crimes. He would sign the letters with the cross circle symbol from his watch. He would call himself Zodiac. He would wear makeup to change his appearance. He would attach a flashlight to the barrel of his gun in order to shoot at night. He would fool women into stopping their cars in rural areas by claiming they had problems with their tires, then loosen their lug nuts and eventually take them captive. That sounds familiar. All of it sounds familiar, really. And Don, you know what? Can we get a round of applause for Don really fast? She said really fast. Why are we applauding Don? Because he takes it all to the police. And how many times do we see friends who are just like, I'm just going to keep it to myself for 72 years. When have we seen that? <laughs> I can't recall one instance of that, Erica. So with all of this information, police did execute another search warrant. This is actually 
a search warrant prior to the one in 1991. This was in 1972 that they did the search of the home, but they decided to search a trailer that Arthur frequented in Santa Rosa instead of searching his house. And they didn't find anything incriminating. I don't understand why they would have done that. I truly have no idea why they decided to search his trailer. There was also a police statement that said that Arthur's friend Philip came forward and said that Arthur had a fascination with the concept of hunting people. And Arthur would tell Philip that people would be more challenging to hunt than animals because humans have intelligence. Which kind of reminds me, specifically, of a letter that Zodiac sent, how it was more dangerous to kill men than it was to kill animals. I'm not understanding how we're not arresting this man at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure why police didn't arrest him with all of this evidence going against him. I mean, as frustrating as it can be, this this seems to happen more often than you would hope it to. For instance, in the case of Alyssa Turney's dad, who was very much a prime suspect in that case for the longest time and had so much evidence against him, a lot of which was circumstantial. He had destroyed or gotten rid of security footage that was needed for that time period. He had all sorts of weapons and guns and explosives that he was stockpiling, all sorts of things. But since it was all circumstantial, ultimately didn't really do a whole lot. In 1971, Arthur was interrogated by the police. And during the interrogation, he stated that his favorite book was called The Most Dangerous Game. And that book is about hunting men like animal. Just seeing a lot of correlations here between our Zodiac friend who wrote the letters and Arthur Allen. Potentially that phrase or idea was just really publicized at that point. Sort of like a a really sadistic way to think about something that kind of drives attention and interest. Maybe. Another incriminating thing about Arthur was his friends and family came forward and said that Arthur had possession of codes featuring identical symbols to that of which the Zodiac wrote his codes in. And he had possession of these codes prior to the Zodiac letters being sent. It's sounding pretty fishy. He was also known to use unusual spelling or phrasing, such as the Zodiac Killer. So he would say, Mary Xmas, but it would be M-E-R-Y X-M-A-S-S. Which I know you guys personally didn't see the letters like we did as we were researching. We've posted a couple on social media, but he was known to spell things very abnormal. The one that comes to mind immediately, he did say Happy Christmas in one of his letters. And in that case, Christmas was spelled with two S's also, but it wasn't Xmas and Mary. Or I guess he said Happy instead of Mary. So there was a slight parallel there, but overall, quite a lot of misspellings, grammar issues, things like that. And his friend said that he would intentionally misspell words because he thought it was funny. So as I said, Arthur had worked as an elementary school teacher until March of 1968. It's horrifying to think (laughs) that this man was teaching children. Yes, but he was fired from his job for molesting a student. So at this point in time, Arthur had no source of income. So he moved back home with his mom and his dad in Vallejo. Arthur apparently hated his mother and felt inferior around his father. His father, Ethan, was a very successful military man, and while Arthur had joined the Navy, he had been less than honorably discharged from the Navy after just two years of service. And I'm not sure exactly what happened there. The Navy doesn't really release information like that. I've not heard it, like, less than honorably. Always just dishonorably. Is it different? It's, like, very gently dishonorably discharged, (laughs) I guess. The way that I understand it, there's 
a fairly extensive range of different types of discharges that you can experience out of the military, the one that most of us are familiar with, honorably discharged or dishonorably discharged. There's also general discharge under honorable conditions, other than honorable discharge, bad conduct discharge, entry-level separation, medical separation, separation for convenience of the government, and less than honorable discharge kind of falls into a category that is other than honorable discharge, which kind of sounds like you would expect where it's we've had some problems with you and we're basically respectfully professionally letting you go but it's not an honorable discharge basically somewhere in the middle like you would expect so arthur kind of despised his father because his father did have such a successful military background and arthur had kind of failed in that department when he moved home with his family he started drinking heavily and then took a job as a part-time gas station attendant But by winter, he was in a downward spiral of depression and alcohol abuse. I would also like to point out that the Lake Herman murders occurred on December 20th, 1968, which would have been right around the time of all of these stressors. It also would have been right in between Arthur's December 18th birthday and Christmas, December 25th. Arthur also only lived about seven minutes away from the Lake Herman crime scene. So he was pretty close. He was known to have an explosive temper and was known to park and drink alcohol in places such as like Lake Herman Road. And he always carried weapons in his automobile. Did he have any criminal record? Other than in the child molestation and then the less than honorably discharge from the military? I don't believe so. Another interesting thing that I was saving for now when I said that he always carried weapons in his car was that in the search of his house in 1991, the police department found that he owned the same type of ammunition that was used to kill the victims at the Lake Herman Road attack. I don't know about you guys, but he's seeming pretty freaking suspicious. There is a lot of stuff that connects him that I think it's it's too much to ignore. A lot of people have decided that he was not the Zodiac Killer because in October 2002, an ABC television show called Primetime Tuesday compared his DNA to what was believed to be the DNA of the Zodiac Killer, but there was not a match. But the DNA that had been compared to Arthur that was supposed to be the Zodiac Killer came from stamps that had been licked by the Zodiac Killer and had been mailed in on the envelopes to the San Francisco Chronicle and other newspapers. Isn't there letters where he says that he's going to make his crimes look like accidents or maybe leave behind like a fingerprint that's not his? Yes, there are letters about that. He did what he could to try to hide his identity as much as possible while still trying to get his name and the attention that he craved. I mean, he's definitely a planner. You can tell that from the letters and the murders to a certain extent, of course. But it wouldn't surprise me if he did plant DNA, and that's the DNA they, you know, are getting to test. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. The other thing is, Arthur's friends and family also came out and said that Arthur did not ever lick his own stamps. He would have other people do it for him, 
which means that even if Arthur wasn't the Zodiac killer, whoever it was could have also had other people licking the stamps. So that's not credible DNA to compare it to. I have more information regarding Arthur being connected to the cases. So specifically the Lake Berryessa case on October 27th, 1969, the Zodiac used a foot-long knife with sheath and rivet to attack the couple. Arthur was specifically familiar with the Berryessa area, and he frequently did things like trapping game and camping and scuba diving, so he would have had a knife similar to this. He had told Sergeant Lynch in an October 6, 1969 interview that the day of the attack, he was going to go up to Berryessa, but he decided to go to the coast instead. He claimed to have an alibi, but he couldn't produce their names or phone number, and when police looked into it, the alibi that he gave was a mysterious couple from Treasure Island. Another fun fact is that Treasure Island, the film, featured a villain named Dr. Zodiac, who wrote taunting letters about his crimes. When that alibi failed, Arthur decided to use another alibi for an elderly neighbor, and he said that this neighbor, William White, had seen him that afternoon and that they'd had a conversation. At the time that Arthur was telling this, the neighbor had already passed away just a couple weeks after their alleged encounter, but he was a ranger from Napa County and he was on the news as a spokesperson for the Berryessa attack. Brian Hartnell, the victim who survived the Lake Berryessa attack, came forward and said that Arthur matched the physical description and his voice of the Zodiac that attacked him. The Zodiac left 10 and a half size footprints at the scene and Alan wore a shoe size 10 and a half. And then in that 1991 search of his house, they found that Arthur owned a foot-long knife with a sheath and rivets matching that of the one used in the Lake Berryessa murder. Another mysterious thing is that there was that letter in November of 1969 with the bomb diagram, and it had the ingredients of the bomb, and the Zodiac claimed that the bomb was being stored in his basement. And then in that search of the house, the police department found handwritten diagrams for bombs that was made out of the exact same ingredients that the Zodiac Killer had talked about in Arthur's basement. Did they compare Arthur's handwriting with the Zodiac letters? They did compare them, but they said that they did not match. How much do you guys put into handwriting analysis? Well, before I put... Honestly, I've never put a ton in. I put more in before I did research on the psychology of some of the letters and stuff and like actually kind of researched them a little bit more. Now the handwriting, I'm just like, it's kind of out the window. In the case of where writing is a big part of the crimes being committed, such as the Zodiac, I feel like it would be pretty common sense to try to write a little bit differently, either every time you do it or just write differently than how you normally do. But in the examples of maybe finding letters that aren't directly associated, whether it's like letters sent from a person or just corroborating different pieces of evidence that weren't necessarily directly linked, then maybe there's a chance that you could associate stuff together. But if it's really directly associated, I feel like it's it's a little bit too much common sense for someone to just write a little bit differently. Yeah, I think if I went in and they said, here, write something down so that I can compare your handwriting, probably try to change up my handwriting. Or if I was sending in letters to say, hey, I'm the Zodiac, I'd probably write with my opposite hand or try really hard, like hold the pencil really funny so that there was no way that it could really match my handwriting. 
So that's all that we have for suspects. I'm going to give you guys a couple other possible victims. I have three. So the first one is Ray Davis. He was found murdered on April 11th, 1962 in an alley in California. He was a driver for the Checkered Cab Car Company, and the autopsy showed that he'd been shot twice from behind while he was in the cab with a 22 caliber. He had one shot to his head and one shot to his back. The reasons for this being a possible victim of Zodiac was it was similar to the Paul Stein case where he shot a cab driver. The Zodiac apparently called the police to take credit for the murder of this one, and it was the same weapon that had been used in the murder of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. It's very surprising to me that that's just a possible one. That one is, but there's another one that's also... The next one that I'm going to tell you is really weird that it's not definitive either. So Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards were killed on June 4th, 1963 in Santa Barbara, California. Robert was 18 and he had been shot 11 times and his fiance Linda was 17 and had been shot nine times. Once again with a 22 caliber semi-automatic. And this was the same kind of ammunition that was used for the attack of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen in 1968. In 1972, the Sheriff's Department issued a press release so that they could conclusively link Zodiac to this double murder, but I'm not sure what happened. It was just never definitively linked for some reason. And the only thing I can think of is because the other, the first known victim of the Zodiac was not until 1966. So these were three and four years prior and there was such a long gap. So I don't know if that's why they kind of hesitate to connect the two because they don't know anything about the Zodiac. They don't know how old he was or anything like that. So it makes it a little bit harder to definitively connect it. We're going to go into the psychology for a little bit. First off, I'm going to go into the psychology of like the handwriting. So William F. Baker was a handwriting expert and he studied the Zodiac killer's handwriting frequently. He said that, quote, the strong slant to the left of the lower letters denotes a mother hostility and an unhappy childhood. Carry that trait further and you find the man who's afraid of women and hates them. Carry that to a further extreme and you have a man who is capable of killing women to get even with his mother, end quote. Uh, All right. I I don't know a lot about handwriting analysis, so I'm going to start with that. I maybe just have no idea what I'm talking about here. But that's just, how do you get there from a leftward slant? I literally have no idea. I was reading this and I was like, once again, I don't study handwriting either. But it makes me wonder what my handwriting shows. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, no. <laughs> Terrifying. We should. I wonder if you can, like, send in your handwriting to get it analyzed. I'm sure you can. Probably. We should try that and see what happens with ours and what I'm just curious. Would, that'd be cool. We should do that. We'll look into it. If it's not too expensive, we'll do it and then share it with you guys. <laughs> yes. He also said that he thought that the Zodiac Killer had a post-high school education, even if it was possible self-education, he just felt like the Zodiac was trying to steer people off and that the writing was not natural to whoever was writing it, which I think is expected. I think that's pretty evident in a lot of his diagrams as well. Like when he's explaining the wiring for the bus bombs, he was like describing how photoelectric systems work and how different triggering mechanisms work for electrical diagrams and when it came to all that stuff, it was very detailed and proper and correct. But then all just like the regular grammar, that's, it seemed to just revert back to almost like a childlike version. Yeah. I mean, even with coming up with the ciphers and all the effort and planning, he went into these conversations through letters, phone calls, you know, everything. It points to someone who 
is at least a, a little above average intelligence. And I like it really doesn't match up with some of the just like absolutely terrible grammar that is represented in the letters. Exactly. Like it's like he's putting in effort to sound dumb. Yeah. And he even says like he is trying to make evidence point away towards him and confuse the cops. So I 100% could see him pretending he's a lot lower level of intelligence than he really is. William Baker also said that the Zodiac was most likely a nobody, but the publicity of his crimes made him feel like he was somebody, which is why he kept trying to get his letters out there. I can see that for sure. And while he was never officially diagnosed with any disorders because we don't know who he actually was, a couple of the diagnoses that we see for him is paranoia, schizophrenia, and some believe that he may have suffered from multi-personality disorder, which... I could see the multi-personality disorder because it would explain why in some of the letters he's asking and pleading for help. And then he says he feels like he can't control it. Right. We talked about that a little bit earlier. How much his attitude and kind of emotion, I guess, changes per letter. And some letters he sounds smarter and some letters he sounds less intelligent. And if he had multiple personalities... Maybe one's a little more controlling and one's a little more intelligent and one kind of reverts to that childlike stage. And that's where we see all the misspellings and the weird phrases for different things. That's really all the psychology that we have on the Zodiac Killer because we don't know who he is. So it was hard to really study him. You just had to study him based on the letters, which were sporadic and didn't make a lot of sense. So the things that we know about the Zodiac Killer are... He was a white male in his late 20s to early 30s at the time of the killings, 5 foot 8 to 5 foot 10, heavy set, strong, and aggressive, with curly brown or light reddish brown crew cut hair and horn rimmed glasses. He had an odd gait that was described as peculiar. He wore 10 and a half size shoes and size 7 gloves. He has a slow and measured voice with a unique sound and cadence that is described as monotone. He was described as a loner who probably couldn't hold a steady job, but based on the timeline, it does suggest that he most likely had a day job or something that kept him distracted and occupied throughout the week. He was someone who was organized, intelligent, and meticulous, and owned a vehicle. He is said to have some form of post-high school education, possibly self-education, with some of the odd misspellings and grammar issues said to be some form of a steer-off. He may have shown narcissistic traits in people that knew him personally, and he would have been described most likely as arrogant and insecure. He possibly had a military background, either Navy or Marines. And one of the big ones is that it is possible that he did suffer from some form of multiple personality disorder. So, Abby, Bryce, what are your theories? Abby, I know you and I have discussed one that we've been wanting to tell Bryce. Let's do that one first. So, Eric and I as well as, you know, a lot of other people probably think that when you put all this stuff together, there's not just one person involved. There's, at least in our opinion, some form of a copycat happening within them. Uh, Specifically, I think when you look at Arthur Allen versus Lawrence Kane, I think for me personally, at least, I can attribute the two crimes I told you guys about when I was talking about Lawrence Kane to him, whereas maybe Arthur if it was him, was involved with a lot of the shootings and those murders. There is something, I think, to be said about the murders that happened at Lake Berryessa, how the 
attacker used a knife instead of a gun and had a facial covering on with the zodiac symbol it kind of felt like maybe for me it was somebody else who was trying to put his crimes on the zodiac to take suspicion away from him yeah and i agree with that i definitely think that there were most likely two people committing these crimes it's not all connected to one person and i don't really believe they were working together at all i think it just was two people playing off of each other kind of But I think that one person sent the letters. I don't think that both people committing the crimes were sending the letters. It was one singular person doing the letters and the calls and two people committing the crimes. Right. I can see like the person who was doing the letters and the calls being the one involved with the shooting murders. And then there was just some third party coming in and bringing in their own set of baggage, putting it on the Zodiac Killer. I definitely believe that there is some form of multiple people involved. I think at first it was probably just the one person. And then at some point, perhaps other people got carried into it. I think potentially there was some sort of working together. Some of the letters, the handwriting is really scratchy and hard to read. And other times it's almost neat. I mean, like very rounded letters. That could be an attempt to throw people off. It could be intentionally having multiple people write letters. I think that using multiple different people would be a good way to have when there are sightings of him or people who survived attacks to describe different people to have conflicting descriptions of the perpetrator so i think there's some form of multiple people but it's hard to hard to know which um there's probably a bit of multiple personality disorder mixed with potentially a second person yeah and i think out of all the suspects that people have investigated and like looked at I think the most probable are probably Lawrence Kane and Arthur Allen. Like I said, I think that they were both involved. I don't think it was one or the other. When you have victims who survived identifying them, like picking them out of a lineup saying this is the person, it's kind of hard to ignore that. It's also something to be discussed, which we'll post photos of both of them on our social media, but Lawrence Kane and Arthur Allen don't look alike. So it would be hard to accidentally choose one out of the lineup and honestly... The main sketch that goes around for the Zodiac Killer doesn't even have super similar characteristics to Arthur Allen. If you guys want, you can send us an email or comment on our social media and let us know what you guys think and who you think is the most probable suspect for the Zodiac Killer. This is one of those cases where there is so much information out there, so much speculation, so many ways to interpret things that... It was a little bit difficult for us to assemble a consistent timeline for everything since some of it is potentially linked, some of it is confirmed linked, some of it is just this is an idea, a thing that might have something to do with it. So there's probably a lot of things that we haven't even come across, potentially things that could be interpreted different ways. So we'd love to hear from you. Comment on social media, send it an email. Um, We always do appreciate the feedback. And thank you for listening to another one of our series. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 